Welcome. You're about to listen to a teaching of the Foursquare Gospel Church, VGC District. At Foursquare, we believe in the transformation of communities through the multiplication of disciples, leaders, churches, and movements. May your hearts be blessed and transformed Welcome as you, you listen. to tonight's discussion on redefining expectations. One of the products of faith is expectation. So the Bible puts it. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We're all very familiar with that phrase. Our faith is never strong without hope. Hope is a positive expectation of something good happening to us. So when we pray, of course, we are all expectant because of the promise that the Lord has made to us, that when we pray, he answers. And just like in Matthew 7, verse 7 to 8 puts it, ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened. Also, as recorded in the Bible, in 1 Kings chapter 18, Prophet Elijah prayed for a torrential rain. He sent his servants to go out and check because he was expectant that rain will fall. The servants came back to say there was a small hand in the cloud, and Elijah was still convinced that there would be rain. And of course, his expectation was not cut off. There was rain. Just in the Proverbs, the Bible says our expectations shall not be cut off. We all remember the woman with the issue of blood. It touched the hem of Jesus' garment and the blood disappeared. We are also reminded of blind Bartimaeus. I'm also reminded of a personal testimony. When I had my second child, it was too big to be out. And in that hospital, there were many doctors in the delivery room who thought they could do CS for me. And at that moment, I remembered the woman with the issue of blood that touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And as I connected to that testimony, and I screamed Jesus, I remember that day at the Windsor General Hospital. My sister-in-law said it was as if the hospital shook and my second child came out perfect. That is the expectation that we have. Expectation is a strong and formidable thing that we all have as children of God in all our lives. Expectation. Tonight, I have three powerful discussants who would share their perspectives on expectation. And first on my right is my sister, Dr. Nkechi Nwankwa. Dr. Mwanko is an international gender specialist and author. She holds a PhD in international development and has worked in various capacities, you'll be amazed, in 21 countries globally, including an editor of a national newspaper and as Western Regional Gender Advisor for Oxfam. Currently, Sister Nkechi is an advisor to the Australian government in the Pacific countries. Here in our church, VGC, 
She has served as editor of the Dove magazine and is currently a member of the Welcome Team and the Comfort Center. She's married to our dear brother, Enyim Wanko, and they are blessed with adult children. Welcome, Stan Kitchen. Thank, Thank you for you joining us. Thank you. On my far right, this is Tachika Sani. Sister Chika has over 30 years experience as a banker. She is passionate about her family and thinks of God. She serves in the Teens Church and she serves also in the, sorry, in the Teens Church, yes, and as a council member of the church. She's also in the evangelism ministry. Sister Chika is married to our brother Bayo Sani and they are blessed with children. Sister Chika, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. The last but not the least, the man in our midst is Brother Phillips. Brother Phillips Hadeboye is an engineer. He is also a master's degree holder from the Harriet Watt University. He is currently in Life Seminary. Yeah, I got it. Life Seminary of the Foursquare Gospel Church pursuing a degree in theology. He's worked in various capacities on boards of many companies and is also a council member of the Foursquare Gospel Church here in VGC and he serves as a secretary to the council. He's also married with children. Brother Philip, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Haven't um, introduced you all. Thank you. We're so glad you're here. In your own words, in your own words, would you? I'll start with you, Sister Ankechi. Okay. Would you just give us your perspective from a family, you know, definition of expectation? Thank you very much. Um, I think your intro captured a lot of it as a desire. It's, expectation is a desire. And that's a desire that somebody does something or helps you or treats you in a particular way. And the family is the, um, is the bedrock of relationships. And expectations are based on relationships. If we don't have an expectation, if we don't have a relationship, you cannot have an expectation. So, the family is a bedrock for relationships. And therefore, the place where we start to learn about how we, what we want and what we want others, how we want others to treat us, what we want others to give us. So that's the basis. And that is also the bedrock of where we can begin to rearrange and reset expectations. Thank you. Thank you. There cannot be a relationship without expectation. Sister Chika, having worked in the corporate for 30 years, what is expectation? Okay, for me, um, I will define expectation as um, looking forward to or waiting for something to happen. And uh, if you now take it into the workplace, you have the employee and you have the employer. And that means that uh, if you are an employee in an organization, there are certain expectations that you expect from the employer. 
something as basic as paying your salary, having a healthy environment to work, having the adequate tools to work. You also expect to grow in the organization. You expect to be recognized, to be rewarded. Meanwhile, the employer also has expectation. He expects the employee to be productive, to be able to deliver results, to achieve the goals that have been set, expects the employee to be disciplined, to be respectful, expects the employee to, to abide by the standard, the policies, and the procedures that have been, that have been written or that's been indoctrinated in the organization. And uh, to me, expectation, especially within the workplace, it can either be documented or it could be oral. Then you can also have expectation when it's also by assumption. So in terms of the workplace, when it's documented, that's when you have the HR policies, you have the, the staff handbook, then you have the various policies, procedures that employees are supposed to follow. Thank you. Thank you, Stachika. What I hear again is, in the organization, it's a symbiotic relationship where the organization and the employees have their propositions on both sides. Because as I understand it, just like you said, um, employees might be based on their competence, their skills, their capacity to deliver. And then so, the employers also have areas where they play that role. Thank you so much. Brother Phillips, from a spiritual and a financial point of view, what's your perspective? Thank you, Sister Nereti. Uh, you know, building on what the uh, Sister Chika and Sister Keshi mentioned, um, it's obvious that in any expectation, two parties are involved. So bringing it to our spiritual reality, God is involved, and then we, believers, children, are also involved. And essentially, as children, we have high expectations of God to fulfill what he has said concerning promises pertaining to us. Um, many a times, we overlook that we also have a responsibility. God is also expecting of us to live up to certain standards, including are we morally and uh, rightly standing, you know, in the way he expects us? Um, are we really in his will in the scheme of things? Um, so those need to really come to a balance. The expectation of God for us and those expectations that we have of, of God based on what has been written in his word. So that's the spiritual aspect. Talking about the financial aspect, um, there are loads of promises in the scriptures concerning financial blessing, material blessing. As a matter of fact, ours is a blessing that is um, so overwhelming. It covers even beyond financial. So when we look at what we stand to benefit, uh, our expectation with respect to finance, finance is just one of those, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Thank you, Brother Philip. So, our expectation and God's expectation of us should be aligned from what you have said. Thank you so much. So, on that note, just quickly answer this. Is it out of place or is it natural 
or is it wrong or right for a person to have expectation of the other? It is natural. Um, as I said, when two parties are involved, there is always expectation, just as a husband has expectations of his wife. The same goes for the wife of the husband and for a father to the children. So it's natural. Thank you. Do you have a different perspective, Star Kitchen? No, actually, I, it's very um, spelt out in the Word of God what those expectations are. If you look at um, Ephesians, uh, start reading from verse 21, or you look at Colossians, reading from verse 18, you will see for each person, God actually um, spells out what the expectations are and says what the other person should do in that um, and, setup. And um, in what ways, in what ways can expectations arise? whether as a child of God, whether as a friend to the other, whether as a husband to a wife, in what ways can expectations arise? Expectations, in fact, uh, as I mentioned when I talked about expectations, if you have a relationship, there's the, the underlying thing is an expectation. So for instance, as a child, you expect your, your father to send you to school. You expect them to feed you. Even before, once a baby is born, the baby is crying, give me milk, give me milk. Right? And the, and the mother is uh, obliging the baby. You know, after a time, a time will come when the mother will say, it's not milk that you need. It's not uh, breast milk that you need. I'm going to add a few other things. And as the baby grows, the, there's expectation that you stop uh, wooing in your diaper, you will, you know, go to the toilet. So, it, it, again, it comes with seasons, it comes with, um, you know, the expectations change with time and seasons for all our lives. So, yeah, the Thank you. expectations change and are there. There is no relationship without an expectation. Thank you. Expectation changes from times and seasons in mm -hmm. our lives. Mm -hmm. Sister Chica, what if there is an expectation gap? What would we do? Okay, especially if you look at uh, in the workplace, sometimes you actually have an expectation gap. Let's say for an employee that is expecting a promotion and the promotion did not come true, or you expected to be nominated for a particular training or for a particular project and uh, did not come true. So that is when you have a gap in expectation. And for the employee, it, it depends on the way they will now have to uh, react in order to be able to manage that expectation. At the same time, even the employer you might find that you probably you had an interview and you recruited this person that you thought that is a top performer. But by the time the person starts the job, we discover that the person cannot even handle that particular role. So that's a gap in expectation. Yes. So usually you have expectation gaps in the workplace. Thank you. Brother Philip, how do we manage expectations of friends or others who have very high very high expectation, especially when it's about finance, or where, of course, money and 
other things are involved, or maybe unreasonable demands as well. At what point do we manage, how do we manage the expectation? So thank you for the question. For friends, um, my expectation is they would have known my position when it comes to, you know, finances, uh, when it comes to financial expectation. And those scripture, I mean, those expectations are essentially scriptural based. And for others, I think the first step will be making them know what those positions are. And how do I manage it for friends? Essentially, I follow the principle um, that Jesus Christ will lay down, which is I would rather, you know, make them fishers of men rather than providing fish. Um, I engage, you know, those friends. That's why I said they would have known my position. They would have known that, look, um, Engagement needs to happen. We need to know are there certain skill gap that needs to be addressed? Um, are there trainings that need to be, you know, uh, taken uh, for one or for those friends to be financially um, stable on their own rather than depending on me or somebody else? That's for friends. And for others who are not, not in the core of friends, you know, that education needs to enlightenment, and then the reason, reasoning behind it needs to be made known to them. So that's really how I will manage um, the expectation when it comes to friends relying on, over depending on. Thank you, Brother Philip. Do you have a different perspective or something uh, similar? I, well, uh, just to amplify what um, Brother Philip said, when you come to a family setting, it's um, uh, the. Um, Expectations will change for each, you know, each season. It's important to communicate what has changed. And it's important to communicate what it will be like going forward. And therefore, to be able to draw a plan on how do we, how do we, uh, because the management is not only on one side, it's on the two sides involved. If you were expecting um, that I would give you X amount of money, and I have Y amount. I'm going to explain to you that I cannot give you this because of this, and then you also should do X, Y, Z to be able to end that. So, yeah, just to amplify that, communication is at the core of it. Thank you. Stachika, in a platonic relationship, when we reach out to maybe members of our congregation, and yet, they are not so welcoming and they do not reciprocate that level of um, friendship or the relationship. Um, what will be our expectation? What should we do if they do not meet our expectation? Because I see that happens in churches from okay. time to time. Um, the way I see it, um, everybody in the world will not love you. You just have to kind of accept it. If you reach out to somebody and they do not re reciprocate, they don't show you the same love, there are others that will still show you the same love. So that's part of that acceptance. If you, you, know, if you just know that you don't uh, define yourself by the people that love you and, um, and you know that not everyone will love you. 
So even if they don't reciprocate that love or that gesture, you should be able to kind of accept it and move on. And I'm sure that other people will be able to accept you the way you are. I love what you said. Don't define yourself just by the people who love you. So there's so many people who also love you or who do not, but we should not define ourselves by a particular person, by a particular person that we expect love from. That's very powerful. Now, Brother Philip, what happens when we don't have relationship with people in church and or they're not reciprocating and yet when there are financial issues, they expect everybody to jump at it to help or they expect people, you know, just to come to their aid. What do you think about that? Um, I think it's in um, Galatians chapter 6. You know, Paul was addressing the Galatian Christians, and he said um, that if we have the opportunity, we should do good to all men, especially those of the household of God. You know? So, um, if, if somebody comes up with, um, um, you know, you, you relate to the other person, not necessarily because of what they do to you, just as he has said. You are not defined by that. You are defined by, oh, you have the love of God, right? And that's what you are extending. If you are in a capacity, if you have the opportunity to render help, regardless, you prayerfully go ahead and do it, just as Apostle Paul has admonished. I mean, you are not doing it necessarily because of that person. You are doing it because of who will reward you ultimately. That's where I sit. So, helping others, it's for God, not necessarily for things that we get back from people. Mm. So what I hear you say is, whether they are our friends or not, we should also render help whenever we can. Thank sure. you. Thank you, Chi. Is it also right if for instance we are in a relationship okay mm -hmm. is it right that especially for our singles who are in relationships is it right to think that they can use the money or their income to furnish that relationship just because they need to get married but we have a lot of spinsters or a lot of brothers who feel that they have to woo the ladies, you know, with their money. Is it right? Is that expectation okay? Because these days we see all kinds of things going on in relationships among our youths. Hmm. You know, I would, I would say that expressions of love come in different forms. And I wouldn't know the motive of, for each one. So I'm not going to judge how people are using that. But the word of God tells us how we relate with people. You are not that they are, they are benchmarks for Christians. You are not to get into fornication. You are not going to have a sexual relationship until you are married. These are the benchmarks. And you are going to um, 
you know, we are not going, I don't, I don't, it, it, I think to answer this question, we need to have a specific case. Talking about it, you know, generally, is sort of hard because if somebody loves another and they want to uh, spend on them, there's nothing necessarily wrong in it. But when the spending is overboard, and that overboard, again, depends on the income of that person, then that begins uh, to raise, uh, if you're doing it to, to corner somebody, then it begins to raise uh, eyebrows. Also, there are um, benchmarks for dating, you know, if you're a Christian. So those, if those are followed, people will be all right. But I would like to, to answer this properly, you will need a specific case. That's, that's my thinking. And thank you. I thank invite you all to. <laughs> yes, I'm sure they will have something to, have to say. So, what if what if the expectation of either of them is unbiblical, and it's just an unbiblical demand? I just want to throw in that. Once you're a Christian, you know your standards. Any any relationship that is going to take you away from the right standard with God, I don't think it's worth it. Wonderful. Just don't go there. Absolutely. Great. And sure. Thank you. Thank you. Now, as children and them um, to their parents, let me bring it low. What, um, in what ways should parents have expectations of their children, vice versa? Okay. Um, you know, we, we talked about the standards God state in Ephesians verse five, mostly for husbands and wives, six for children. Six one, uh, Ephesians six one says um, talks about children obey your parents. Uh, verse two says honor your father and your mother. So there are basic principles that God has laid out for children to honor their parents. So it's expected of a child to obey their parents. In the same way, if you go to I think it's six four talks about fathers not exasperating their children. So as parents, we also owe the, uh, the duty not to make our children bitter, not to overburden them, to you know, hold them in love. So um, there, are, there will be the expectations for parents and children are clearly set. And it's expected as a child Obeying that, you know, the house does not run itself. Some parents set, may set a bad standard by not having their children learn how to do house chores for one reason or the other. I think they are denying that child of what, of life skills even. So a child should have a duty in the home that is delineated. This is what you will do. Just as I, as a parent, am earning money to send you to school, to feed you, expect you to clean, to wash, to, you know, do house chores so that the house will be clean for all of us to live in. Expect you to read, not be on your TV. Expect you to pass exams well so that the money I'm paying for school will be well spent. You know, those are what I expect. I expect you to respect adults around you. I expect you to treat people fairly. I expect you to honor people around you. I expect you to live like Christ, love people. And I would 
as a parent, I will model that to you. And so help me God. Amen. <laughs> Brother Philip, is that what we see in 20, 21st century now? <laughs> or 21st century parenting? Is that what we see? Because 21st century parenting in itself is complex. Um, we have uh, 21st century parents and we have 21st century children. <laughs> so, but what remains, what remains constant, regardless of the century, are those, you know, scriptural standards. So, um, in all these expectations, whether they are moral expectations from the children or from the parents, you'll be amazed in, in, in some homes, especially <laughs> in this part of even the country, these are our houses. Um, you can't even find those moral standards with the parents. So in our real society, we see all sorts. So, but what is important for us as Christian families, Christian homes, we need to be able to draw a clear line in as much as, yeah, we make efforts to meet those social expectations to our children, uh, those um, emotional expectations that we need to we ensure that. But when it comes to they overdoing it, you don't forget these children, they meet with their peers, they watch TV, they relate with social media, and they come over and then, you know, ask you certain things, re make requests and make demand for certain things. And you say, where is this coming from? So you, you've got to, to make that very clear. Where the boundaries need to be drawn, you make it clear. Even though we have all sorts in our society today, we as Christian families, we should be able to draw clear lines and boundaries for our children. Thank you. Thank you, Sachika. Would you want to add to that? Yeah, I agree with what uh, Brother Philip has said and, and Sister Nkechi. For the parents, the, the basic scriptures are there in terms of respect, in terms of honoring, those are the things that they expect from their children. But when also comes to, because we're talking about what they expect from the children in terms of the moral um, aspect of it. But you find also instances where the parents, when it comes to maybe uh, the course or the subject the child wants to study, you can have the parents being kind of overbearing sometimes because they want the children, maybe they want them to be doctors because maybe the parent had wanted to be a doctor and ended up not being a doctor. So they now want to live their lives through their children so that they, they're not looking at the innate uh, talents that the kids have. They're not looking at how God has created them, what they are passionate about. They're not looking at all those things. They are looking at themselves trying to live their lives through the children. So in that case, it also kind of raises the expectation of the parents concerning their children, and they may end up even making their children bitter and their children not living up to the expectation or the destiny that God has for those kids. So parents need to watch it. We must not live our lives through our children, and as parents, we have to nurture our children. There is an online question here. And um, Sister Chika, I'll throw that to you. It says, how do you manage expectation gap from a spouse that emanates or exists due to an area of weakness with the spouse? 
is how do you manage an expectation gap that emanates or exists due to an area of weakness? Well, I think uh, this was one of the things that we discussed during the family month. Where you obviously know that your spouse has a weakness. It's all about communication. It's all about both of you discussing it and, and agreeing on what to do. And for you as a spouse, whether the man or the woman, you discuss and you understand. So without you'll be able to manage it well. Because where we usually have a problem is where there's no communication. But if there's communication and you understand that this is obviously a weakness, then both of you can work on that weakness or you may decide to overlook that weakness. And if you, you have a strength in that particular area, that is when your own strength will now come to support your, uh, to support, support your spouse. Then, of course, you pray about it, you take it to God, and God will help you as a family to overcome. Thank you. Since we're talking about family, how can we manage expectations, for instance, with our in-laws who are helpful but have overstayed their welcome in our homes <laughs> but do not return for want of uh, maybe loneliness in their villages or places where they live? Because we have seen a lot of um, women who are really under pressure because they have one in-law or the other who have overstayed their welcome. How do we manage such expectations that get you? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, I think um, what we mentioned about uh, communication comes at the center of it. On a practical level, I would say whoever's parent that is, whether it's the parent of the man or the parent of the girl or the, of the woman, has the primary uh, duty to communicate this thing to their mother or their father. I don't know who it was that's there. Uh, to say, to find out first what is their major issue about going back home. I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming that they've stayed though. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on that assumption. So, um, to come, and then to be able to see how they will mitigate that uh, if it's loneliness, is it possible to get them a help in the village, arrange for help in the village? Uh, what, and um, you know, if it's, I don't know what else it will be. If they're not busy enough, can they join their church in the village and do ministry, you know, be busy? Help them to engage because when people disengage, then they can, then they do not have that community nestling, especially when, so for instance, uh, they have um, an, an older, a, a, a parent-in-law has been widowed, for instance, they, are, they can be lonely. So uh, rally help around that uh, elderly parent at home. Find who, work with the person to find out who they can work with. But primarily let the, whoever parent it is, if it's a man's parent, let him be the one spearheading, because otherwise it will be like the wife is pursuing the, the mother. Mm. So we have to be sensitive to these things. That would be my take. Thank you. Star Chica, what do you think? I agree wholeheartedly with uh, Sister Nkechi. The, uh, the most important thing is that communication is very key. Communicate. And it has to be the child 
of the parent that has to do the communication so that you don't have friction between the in-law and the other, the other spouse. Now, Philip, what's your perspective about this? Yeah, I'm in alignment with the, the, the points raised by, by Sister Chika and Nkechi. I, I mean, it's also important we have some understanding with that. We are all assuming his parents in law. Yeah, I mean, it could also be um, causing to the husband or something. But for parents in law, it's also important we have some understanding around the timing that they will be staying, you know, when they're coming in the first place. Mm. Right? So if that understanding and is there between every party, then um, the child can then remind the parents, oh, so are you already thinking in that direction to leave? Um, it could also be a case of, I don't want to go back to the village. So communication again comes in. We can make arrangements for um, probably an apartment not too far away. So it could be, depending on what the issue is, from communication, you'll be able to establish it and you can provide solution to it, exactly. Okay, so let me take it slightly further. What happens in a situation where either the husband or the wife have relatives who live with them, but these relatives do nothing? They don't help in any way, and yet expenses are climbing up on a daily basis. What should be the expectation of for instance, if it's an in-law to the wife, or vice versa, what should be the expectation? How would they manage that relationship? Especially when the woman is under pressure to manage the home. And the woman knows that the husband, you know, do not have so much. But yet, they are there, not helping in the house, in the kitchen, or what? Because we have a lot of that around. Well, I think it still boils down to communication because it may be, it may be just be or based on assumption. You're thinking that um, they know what to do, the in-laws that are staying in your house. You may think that they know what to do. They may not know any better. So it has to do with communication. You have to talk to them, okay? In terms of chores, give them certain chores that they know that it is their own. They must complete it. Then, in terms of, uh, you may even think of uh, what they can contribute in the house. Maybe they should buy seaway water, or they should buy, you know, certain thing in the house. You can throw it out to them that they should assist with. But the most important thing is communication. And when you're communicating, it has to be in a loving way. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, like weeding the big stick that you don't do anything in this house. Just talk to them lovingly. It can even be either the wife or the husband. Call them, speak to them, communicate your expectations. Because sometimes, because the expectations have not been communicated, these people don't even really know what you expect from them. They just think that they're having fun, that their auntie has a lot of money you know, to throw around. And they probably tell others, ah, I'm enjoying my auntie's house. But meanwhile, the auntie is like suffering and smiling. So communicate with them. Tell them what you expect from them. And I'm sure they'll be able to pitch in and do something. In a situation where all else fails, what happens? But we've communicated, we have talked about it, but yet nothing happens. How do we handle that? Let, let me provide some practical um, ways to, to start it. There's a point that Brad Philip made about before they even come. 
you have, you know, um, things that you, you have agreements that, you know, they need to follow. Like, uh, before they come, they're going to, let's say the person is coming for youth service. It's a, a time frame. So you have a time frame. And when people come, what we have found useful in my own home is using the family uh, fellowship. We have, uh, we would have a, you know, the family fellowship every night. We use it to share the word of God. We also use it as a family town hall. So that after the, um, if there's an issue that has come up, like people are not doing what they should do, that would be the time to, to have them say why they are not doing what they should do and to pray about it, you know, bring it to God in prayer. And you find that when you've done that, uh, it is also where you will need to, if uh, you are needing to draw the line, that is where also you will need to prayerfully draw the line to say, if you are not, um, this is what this person is, share the duties, make it clear, have the, every house has its rules. One of the rules in my own house is that you do not eat and drop your plate in the sink. As you are finished eating, you are washing your plate, regardless of who you are. So if you think, um, like we had somebody who came and felt, no, he can't wash plates when there are children in the house. And we said, no, everybody washes their plate. And the only way you don't wash plate is if you don't eat. So if people know the laws in the house ahead of time, and they keep breaking those laws, then they have built a case for leaving the house. So you can say to them, if this doesn't change by this time, I would, you know, we, you would have to make a change. Something needs to happen. So that's... And what if the staff, the other spouse, does not agree to that? Because that happens, and it causes a lot of friction you see, that's, that, that, is, that is why it needs to be a house rule that everybody has agreed on. You bring the, as we make the rules, we involve everybody in the making of the rules. We don't make it alone. We brought our children and the people living with us. At a point, there were 12 of us in the house. Cousins, you know, my family, um, the nuclear family is five. So you have seven others. Therefore, you need to make sure that everybody understands what their role is. So, if you are not following those rules, or let's say you are supposed to clean a place and it's dirty every time, of course it will show. Then we raise why you are not doing it. You explain why, and unless you are not well, otherwise you will do it. Or you've applied to leave. <laughs> In you know? a situation, Brother Philip, where the husband is not confident enough to talk to his older sister or younger sister whose daughter or son lives in the house. And so it's difficult for him to ask that word to leave the house. How would the man manage the expectation of his wife in solving the case? And we see that happen every time. So I, I want to believe um, we are talking about a Christian husband, and um, exactly. So, in the hierarchy of things, your family comes first. Um, then, now depends on how you want to uh, layer the extended family. So, there needs to be an understanding between you and your wife, um, or vice versa, um, and 
it is that understanding, that alignment that you have, that you are passing on to any other person other than now a, a third party to say. I mean, regardless of the rules and everything, which are very good, but if both of you, the core of the family, agrees, I, I, will, I will go ahead. I'm, uh, on a personal note, I, I recall my own younger brother, you know, when he was living with us, I mean, we did not have luxury of having seven extended family, but I, we used to have one, <laughs> one uh, younger brother, my own younger brother living, and he misbehaved. We discussed it right, with my wife, and we, we all realized, no, he's completely outside of, uh, um, you know, the boundary. And just as they had earlier advice, it's right for the person that is directly related to the person to be the one to communicate the decision. I mean, I called him. I told him. And he saw reason. He was initially struggling. I made it clear. I said, would I even do such a thing? He said, no. So that settles it. Thank you. I pray the Lord will help our families. Mm -hmm. Now, talking financially, in a situation where the husband or the wife is the eldest of say about five or six children and the meager or whatever income he has it's only able to take care of his immediate family but the the retired parents have said look there are two younger ones who should go back to school and you would be responsible so how should the couple manage that expectation when they know that the burden of adding two more people, you know, in their home and paying the school fees and the rest of it, it's a huge burden on the family. What should be the expectation of the husband or the wife? How would they manage it or how should they manage that? These are realities of our time. I will start from you, Brad Philip, and then <laughs> Sister Chica. <laughs> okay. I would have loved, I mean, unfortunately, I've not been in such a situation, so, and, um, but again, if you ask me to advise, it will be, you discuss it. If, if you cannot afford it, right, there are other ways around it. They don't have to come live with you. Um, Remember what I said earlier. Paul and the scripture encourages us to help, right? To extend help if we have the capacity or if we have the opportunity. But in this case, it's like the opportunity is very slim. So you've got to discuss it and, and check, okay, is it one? You're talking about two members of the family. Is it one that we can, you know, take in? And if you cannot even, I mean, you could have a situation where you don't even have accommodation for an extra person. I mean, could you discuss with friends who has a bigger accommodation to house one of them? I mean, there are ways, practical ways, options. But what is important is you and your wife, you have had that discussion. You've seen, it's obvious that you will not be able, and you have to also communicate that to your parents that are insisting. 
you have to let them know. I mean, this is the best we could do, but we'll find a way around it. So it's those other ways that you are focused on to explore and prayerfully, you know, go about it. And I'm sure God will, will help. Maybe I'll start with this last one yes. then, okay? And if you have uh, the relatives that bully your children or are negative influence, they, you call them, you discuss with them, and you set boundaries. The next time they, they, they move outside that boundary, they're leaving your house. I mean, it's not negotiable. You have to set boundaries. Well, you talk to them and tell them that the next time they do this, they are out of line that they are leaving your house and they will leave your house. They are not oh, well, I think it's also important to get your children um, to understand you know, the, the context. Uh, maybe, maybe they're the ones who reported to you. I'm in total agreement with Stachika. You need to set boundaries about how people relate with your children. You need to teach your children to even know because the truth is that a lot of abuse goes on when there are other relatives in the house, especially if your children are not, uh, have not been uh, taught how to, uh, for their body integrity, to, to make sure nobody's touching them in the wrong way and all of that. So um, it's also a point that you need to discuss with people who are coming to your house, make it clear, you know, if you're going to discipline my child, please let me know, and I will be in agreement, depending on what it is. So uh, there, there will be no room for that. One strike, and you are out. Thank you. Um, we'll pause a bit and take Praise the Lord. There are two areas of expectation gap I'd like to make contribution about from personal experience, particularly in church relationship. Sometimes you have expectation of a brother or a sister. For instance, I expected somebody to have called me or visited with me or reciprocated my affection towards him or her. And it's not coming. And I feel disappointed. I feel bitter. And if I begin to withdraw, so I've been calling you, not returning my because I'm not going to call you again. I had a, an experience like that, but at some point, the Holy Spirit prompted me to go ahead and call. And I found out that the person had been sick. So if I had ignored my own feeling and out of love reached out, I would have, I would have saved myself from bitterness. So oftentimes, the challenges we have in church relationship, or there's no love here, is because we have unrealistic expectation of ourselves, and we're not going be, we're not acting in love. That's one. The other area which I also consider extremely important is uh, our expectation of God. We have unmet expectation, 
I prayed, I prayed, and what is happening? What do I do? I've had a young person say, we pray for this person, he died. We pray for this person, he died. We pray for this person. So what's the point praying? How do you, how do you handle unmet expectation from God? Some say, God has failed me. Well, I have dealt with that by an understanding of the sovereignty of God. God rules overall. And, I, and whatever, my expect, whatever my expectation is, whatever the gap may be, I mustn't come to the point of doubting my Lord, that Father God loves me, God cares for me. And I must believe that he's working out his best for my life. And I think this is very useful for a lot of our young people are disillusioned. They had expectation from God and it's not being met. So what's the point being in church? God, we can never judge God by our experiences. God is greater than our experiences. Praise God. My question has to do with, um, you know, this thing, we talk about family uh, expectations within the family cycles. As you know, until very recently, the idea of family in our own culture is not husband and wife and their children. Um, but you know, the way we are talking about it, his husband and wife and their children. Uh, I'm not even sure that biblically that is really how the Bible defines family. So I'm seeing expectations also of people being caught. That is, you have parents, you have siblings, and so on, who think you owe them expect you owe them some things and then somehow it can come across de depending on how we communicate to them that you know what we don't owe you anything and that takes me to you know how do we communicate with them or relate with them that wouldn't distance us from them and prevent us from being witnesses in that family extended family community that's my 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 question well i i think even um as the question has kind of um touched on it um which is we we define family in a large way. When we talked about, um, uh, like the question about having younger ones, uh, the contribution I was going to make to that is it needs to be a larger family discussion because our, our people also leave it for the one who is assumed to have money. That I have uh, 20,000 and you have 15, it doesn't make you not have money. You have something. And people, you know, uh, even uh, the, those wider relations, they have something to give. So if we define what it is that they need us uh, to do, and I think most people are still very connected. Most people are, you know, making those um, 
contributions to their, to their parents as is expected of us, especially in a cultural environment. But you may have larger village, uh, wider range, and that's our social support. Those are great. As we talked about during the family week, it's important to also know, you know where those boundaries lie. We must help, but people can also make us overshoot. So we need to, we need to have a balance of where we can say, okay, this is how far we can go. Honestly, honest to God in our resources, this is how far we can go. We must continue to help because that's what makes our own society special, that we care for our young ones. But we, as a family head, let's say, when we talked about the, the person that has, um, that, that is the eldest, and they're leaving two people for him. If I'm in his position, I will call my younger ones and say, okay, you that can bring 5,000, bring. You that can bring this. Because otherwise, they'll leave it for one person. That's my, that's how I would deal with it. Um, make other people make a contribution, have a stake in that uh, area. As, as happens in the community. When communities train people, even the person who has one penny puts it on the table so that help can come. But now we are leaving it to the person who has 10 naira to bring all of, you know, to carry the burdens of every other person. So others may have. Sir Chika, do you have, um, do you want to add to what she said? Well, um, what I would like to add is that uh, as uh, we should know that our word is defined by the love of God. God does not love you because you're maybe, uh, you're, he wants us to help people, but it's not because you're helping people that God loves you. So your what is because God loves you. I know that God loves you. So it's not because you're, you want to depend on people to say, oh, this person is very nice, this person is uh, giving out. You need to know your limits. You need to know your limit. You need to know what you can do and what you cannot do. You need to draw a line. Because you don't end up just distributing. At the end of the day, your family is not uh, sufficiently um, well taken care of. So you need to know where to draw the limits. But we, as Christians, we know that we need to give. But you need to know where to draw the limit. And you don't just do it so that people be saying that you're nice or start singing your praise. Well, you know that your worth is in who God knows that you are. And you know that God... God knows what you can afford and what you cannot afford. Then more importantly, communicate also. You communicate so that they know what you can afford and what you cannot afford. Because sometimes maybe it's probably somebody's lifestyle, maybe it's the kind of lifestyle you're living, they will not think that uh, you're like uh, a dangote. That, yeah. So you also need to also manage the way you display yourself. Because probably it's the way you also carry yourself that make people think that you have uh, the whole resources, but communicate. Let them know your position. Let them know what you can afford, and you should know Thank your you. limits. Thank Publish. you. Communication is it's very important, key. Yes, and very we have key. to be deliberate yes. in giving. Thank you. Now, let's bring it down to intimacy in marriage. Intimacy in marriage. How do couples manage that expectation? Because we have seen a lot of homes. I've heard several homes who have um, run into trouble 
just because of intimacy or because the wife is not doing enough or the husband feels one way or either party. So how do we manage expectations when it comes to intimacy in our homes? But Philip, would you start with that? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so <laughs> personally, I believe we learned a lot last month on this during the family month. Um, and my own expectation to the organizing team is that they will make it more frequent so that the lesson, you know, um, um, is fresh, you know. So essentially it still boils down to um, communication. Um, when there are intimacy gap, when there are expectation gap around intimacy, um, it's nice for, for the partner to raise it and to flag it and sit the other spouse really down and let's have you know fact-based conversation around it if they need um you know to request for counseling session with more experience it's welcome both of them can discuss it and then you know um, i mean go for that um i know my wife she at home she is the one that we always do the talking me i'm a bit um, you know <laughs> um relaxed side she will always say oh let le, le, i mean in this area you need to you, you, you i mean you, you need to wake up <laughs> you need to just you know do something let me see a lot in the account said, but you are working you are you are, you are getting it so you just do something regardless of the amount that keeps me going you know she talks and that's very important. That communication is really necessary. Thank you. Know? What are practical ways? What are practical ways to manage intimacy? I, I would say um, be sure that you set time. Because couples can get so busy with work, with whatever it is that they do, that don't, don't set time to just sit and talk. So if you sit and talk, the more that you are able to, to talk and to communicate your needs, um, somebody may love you, or somebody loves you, but they don't, they are not mind readers. And they don't always, you know, know what you really need. And as, as we mentioned earlier, um, our needs and expectations change with time and season. What uh, makes up what, what we may enjoy at age 20, age 25, may not be what we enjoy at age 50. So it's important to keep talking, to keep the lines of communication open and constant. So budget time. If you still have children um, that are needing care, make sure you have some time after they've gone to bed to have, you know, watch uh, to, to, to have that time together as a couple because that's when you raise all the things that may be bothering you and I will encourage men because men often say they don't talk to try and talk try and talk it's important women uh, I think we have inbuilt uh, <laughs> inbuilt communication <laughs> communicative ways and men tend to uh, be quiet. Well, you know, why, where we are short, as women, we need to talk less. And men, please talk some more. 
because we won't know what is in your heart if you don't talk. And for us, um, please keep showing us. We want those things that you say, yeah, those things are still important. Not the flowers, the kisses. We want them. So keep, keep doing it. And with time, you become freer to do it. But make the time. Create, carve out time. It's very important. Praise God. Sachika. Well, uh, I agree with uh, uh, Kechi and Brother Philip. It's something that one needs to be intentional about and deliberate. Create time and listen. Most of the time, sometimes somebody may be talking to you. You have to look at body language because the person may not be, you know, saying what the person is saying may not really be what the person is saying. So when you're listening, you listen with everything. Look at body language. You'll be able to understand what really your spouse is trying to communicate. It's very important. That communication helps a lot. Thank you. And I would like to add that we know we have our love languages. And so the couple must understand and learn the love language of the other. That's, that's really important. And again, review, reviewing our relationship from time to time. I feel it's very, very important. We've reviewed our relationships for several years. It's not as frequent as it used to be, but we do. And we talk about an array of, of things, everything under the sun, everything, including our sex language, including, you know, even receiving visitors, even cooking in the house, our finance. We just talk about everything. And so we have to look for the right way, the right time to be able to, to do that. Now, let's quickly move further. How do we manage expectation from God? Especially when the Lord has promised us, for instance, in a Proverbs, that our expectations would not be cut off. And yet, and it says the desires of the righteous will be granted. What, what happens when these promises are not getting to us, when they are not manifested? So, for instance, we have the promise that a man would be fruitful with children and paraphrasing with children around this table and the man has waited and it's not happening the woman has waited in the waiting room for years and it's not happening how do we manage that expectation this is important well i think uh, pastor Benis covered this in one of the teachings a few weeks ago and that is, uh, first of all, to say that God works in eternity. His timing is not ours. We see the promises that he made. And I'm, and I'm confident that when we get to heaven, when we look back, we say, oh, okay, this is what God was working with this. Now we may not see it. But if we hold on to God, we will see even in what seems like delays or in what seems like denial that God is working that out my first counsel would be getting to the word of God for somebody who is thinking that God is not meeting their expectations I mean God will so laugh <laughs> because he always meets expectations we just don't see it so sometimes he opens it for us within our lifetime and we see what he was doing sometimes but he's his prerogative and that has been mentioned earlier 
to, to show us or not to show us. The work, our Christian work, is a work of faith. We must believe God that no matter what we are going through, that he is true to us. That he's meeting us at our very points of need at that time. It's a work of faith. Nobody can do it for us. And if we remain at the point where we're saying, oh God, you didn't give me this. You have disappointed me. It just shows me that we need to know God more. We need to get into the world and ask God to reveal himself fully and truly to us. Thank you. Yes. Um, okay, it reminds me of, of uh, Habakkuk uh, 3, 17 to 18. Though the fig tree does not blossom, I rejoice in the Lord my God. So it's a Christian, it's a Christian work with God so that whatever that's happening in our lives, we know that uh, God is there and God is God. He's sovereign, as uh, Reverend Uta mentioned. So his own timing may be different from our own. We just hold on to him and we believe that what he said that he will do, that he will do it. Philip, do you want to add to that before we move to another question? My, my only addition is to continue to cultivate that attitude of absolute submission, you know, um, to his will. And we need to bear in mind that his plan for us is the best, regardless of how you see it, regardless of what comes, is the best. So all we need to do is just to keep trusting him, and that's the best way we can manage our expectations around here yeah, from God. Thank you. So how do we manage expectations from families who are going through different challenges, especially where the husband does not get a job or the business is um, not doing as well or the wife is not able to meet you know, certain um, demands in the home? How should the couple manage that? Because we have seen several families who are going through um, very challenging times because um, either the breadwinner, who is the husband this time, is, um, you know, it's, it has issues either regarding his work or his business. How should we manage that? Um, Sister Chica, can you start from that? Okay, um, I believe that... Um, like we just mentioned, even though we say that we have expectations as a family, we have expectations that um, we'll have a job, we have expectations that um, we'll be able to provide for the family. But if anything now happens and that expectation is not being met, we still need to do what? Still hold on to God. Because when, when I look at um, even, okay, let me say, let me, if I look at somebody like David, David was anointed the king by Samuel. So it's not as though he was expecting that by next day he would take over from Saul. He still, God had to take him through some uh, corner, corner places where he was persecuted before he ended up being the king. So what I'm saying here is that life is a process. That's the way I see it. Life is a process. Where you are at a particular point in time is not going to determine where you'll be forever. So it's for you to trust in God, work hard, 
and for you even within that family if maybe you're looking at school fees you're looking at uh, the food for money or other things then you'll be able to reduce your expectation of what you need to spend but in the process of doing all these things you just know and believe that where you are today is not where you're going to remain like i mentioned previously where you are today is not going to define you you trust in god and you keep on working hard and you know that there's a future for you and god has already told us that he has plans for us plans for good and not for evil to give us to bring us to a particular end and that end that you're going to get in there and one thing i always believe is romans 28 um it's Romans 28, 8, that everything works together for good. Because the moment you have hope, the moment you have hope, you, it also influences your attitude and it helps you to do what? To pick up from where you are and continue. So if the, the job is not there, you know that tomorrow the job will be there. So you have that hope and you have that trust in God that you're getting, that you're going to get there. So it gives you the hope to keep on trying. And most of the times you find that you get up and continue. So that's what so I So faith discovered. is what we Faith, strengthen your faith and trust in God. And he will never fail you. And he has never failed. I, I Thank you. In addition to that, we need to walk through the network of our friends and um, the different connections that we have. Because we see a lot of our men do not like to ask for favors. But there are times when we have to work within our network, you know, to see if one, two, three people within our network may be interested in the businesses or in the jobs, you know, that the breadwinner is actually looking for. Because I see that a lot of a lot of men shy away from using their network, you know, while we're believing in God. Faith without works, the Bible says is dead. So again we have to get up and then, you know, move out and talk. Now, we have a couple of questions online, and um, one of it is this. It says, how do we manage our domestic staff who have expectation gaps or who have such um, faults or nature that we do not um, accept, but we still have to live with them and manage them still? How do we manage you know, that relationship. Maybe you take it again from there. <laughs> no, sometimes, uh, because it's called in domestic health, and uh, sometimes uh, we have very high expectation of them. So maybe we should lower the expectation, meet them at their level. That way we'll be able to work with them. Because if you go out and get somebody else, the person may even be worse than the person that you already have. So we just manage the expectation. Know that probably if they were what you expected them to be, probably you will be their own domestic servant. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. I, I think in addition to what uh, Sister Chica has said, it's also to, to realize that you yourself, you have faults. Because some of us act like we don't have faults. So you meet them at the point where they are, but also you review yourself to see whether you are meeting their own expectations. They too have expectations. And some of those expectations is how you speak to them. Some of us, do, when we uh, hear domestic servants, then we 
you know, we treat them, people can read us. We treat them in a way that we wouldn't want to be treated. So let's review ourselves and then see, talk to them about whatever it is that we are not happy about and see whether we can come to an agreement, a reset of whatever it is. And then we do a, a, a work plan, maybe, maybe because I'm a development person. I do, <laughs> you do a work plan and see how, how you meet that and how you correct that. Thank you. Thank you. I also believe that we need to show love. There are human beings like us, they've come from, they have their families as well. Mm -hmm. So we need to show love at all times. And in a way, there's nothing wrong in treating our domestic um, um, staff as family. I believe so much in that, and that strengthens us, you know, even as human beings, and even as children of God. The Lord has brought them to our families, the Lord has brought them to our homes, and we need to treat them as families, and not treat them as if they are aliens, you know. And like Sister Nkechi rightly said, we have at all times to check ourselves and see where we have gone wrong a lot of the times. I believe that, you know, acting like the master-servant relationship never helps anyone. Love is the greatest thing we can offer. So we need to try that. Um, another question here. From the onsite says that, how do we manage, how do we manage our children about not provoking them to anger? And how do we know we have not crossed the line from instilling realization of expectations to provocation? Brother Philip. Yeah, I used to relate with them in love, actually. Um, come to their level when we are relating with them. Um, you know, they have, uh, again, they are in another world, different generation. Um, so we need to understand that in relating with them. And, um, and we also need to help them realize that, look, this is a no-go area. It's a no-no as Christians. And this is the reason. Uh, my daughter will always ask me why. Uh, Daddy, could you tell us why we should not do this? So it behoves on parents to actually state a very good reason. And you might not have a good reason at that time. You will say, okay. Um, can we discuss this in the evening? By then, you, you go do your research or you talk with your wife. And then, hey, but ensure you close that conversation. It's very important. Um, so, um, trying to relate with them at that their level, I think we will we'll ensure that we are not trying to provo I mean, cause provocation. Thank you. We'll run through these questions quickly because we have less than 15 minutes you know, to our time. Now, talking about our children, you know, the millennials and the natives, you know, the Generation Z that we have these days, they face untold pressures. And the expectations they have of each other is huge and monumental if we're all used to, or if we have them in our homes or in our offices. How do we manage their expectations? And how do we manage them? Sister Chika, let me start from you. I know you have millennials in your office. 
Well, um, one thing about them is um, some of those expectations that we see because they put a lot of uh, pressure on themselves. One is that they don't like failing. I see most times they don't like failing. Then because of maybe the social media, they, when they look at the social media, they see what people wanted them to see. You know, they see maybe their peers uh, putting their perfect self on the social media. So they will not feel that they are not measuring up. The, another thing is that maybe because of the society, they're kind of feeling pressured to, to, that, to succeed. So um, for them, what I would say, maybe the first one is that it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail. And the moment you fail, what do you do? You learn from your mistakes. You pick up and you keep on moving. So they, don't, they should not allow it to affect their mental health. You know, they say, that, oh, it's so whatever. They should not allow it to affect their mental health. They just know that it's okay to fail. And when you fail, you learn from it and you move on. They, in terms of putting pressure on them or the social media, they should know separate reality from from uh, expectations because some of those things are not pure, they're not reality. And like we mentioned previously, they should know that everything works together for their good so that even when they are going through a process, life is a process. I keep on mentioning, life is a process. You start from here. When Joseph dreamt that he was going to become, uh, when he dreamt those beautiful dreams, nobody told him that he was going to end up a slave. Nobody told him that he was going to end up in the prison. But that's the process he had to go through in order to get to his destiny. So they should know that there's a process in life and they have to go through it. So then, okay, so in the office, to me, some of those millennials, they are innovative, they are digitally savvy. So even in an organization, you can learn from them. You can have reverse mentorship where they will teach we generation X how to use the computers and all. You listen to them, they'll be able to add value to the organization because they have a lot. Thank you. I have so many of them that um, I work with on yeah. a daily basis. And you'll be amazed at the amount yes. of knowledge, that just the knowledge bank that they have. Even though they want to work without boundaries, you know, um, they are so, so intelligent. And I believe that um, supervising them needs a lot of patience. You know, we need to be patient with them. Uh, we need to understand what they're going through as, um, as millennials, because there's a lot of pressure out there. So like I said, reverse mentorship, they are so good, they are so brilliant, even though they have a lot of, um, of um, you know, different um, attitudes that we need to correct from time to time. But again, it's a brilliant generation, and uh, we can take advantage of their brilliance from, from time to time. So for those of us who have them at home, you know, we need to pray along so that all the pressures that they go through, and we need to pour Christ in them. I believe that's what's important. Our God must be their God. We need to pour Christ in them so that at every point in time, when they face all these issues and pressures, they remember what we have shared with them. And then, of course, communication. You kept on hammering on communication. Communication, it's very key. You know, talking to them, you know, at every point in time. Mm. Stan Kechi, do you have a word you want to add to that since you're always um, 
you, about you, structures <laughs> and processes. <laughs> you, you, you already nailed it. We, we should um, learn from them. I think they are wonderful gifts to, to all of us if we have the humility to learn from them. And if you put them in that uh, uh, situation, they, are, they then, uh, you know, when they lead, they, or some of the other things that are excesses will begin to win because they want to, they want to be leaders. Sure. So you, you give them the opportunity to, to lead and to teach you. And some of the things that they're doing will come down because they're just only trying to exercise themselves. So, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Brother Philip, it looks like you have something to say. Yeah, just like um, everyone has said, is to try to get into their world, you know, feel, have an idea of the source of the pressure, and from there you can address some of them. You can mentor them. I also have a reverse mentoring as well. Okay, so let me throw in something. Um, the pressures we talk about, the peer pressures, I want to believe that even the older people actually have the societal pressures. So, for instance, a man who feels, oh, he should be driving, um, you know, a Jeep, and yet he's driving a car, or for a, a man who has an ego and feels that, oh, the sort of friends he has are either governors or they are senators or whatever, and yet it's not where he is. Those pressures, and I believe even as Christians, we see that all around. In, you know, in our congregation, how do we manage the societal pressures? Because it gets to us, even as Christians, as women, as men. But a lot of the time, we blanket it in the name of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, but how do we manage that in our congregation, or areas, or organizations where we belong to? The societal pressures. It does not just affect the millennials or the natives. It affects us even as parents. How do we manage that expectation? Brother Philip, would you want to start? You know, Apostle Paul says, those who compare themselves with themselves are not wise. Um, really, we shouldn't benchmark um, ourselves or what the Lord has ordained for us based on other people. Um, I tip, yeah, I mean, those temptations will come, but um, as Christians, we should be able to um, remind ourselves and come back to our senses that no, um, <laughs> the plans of God and what the Lord has, has in stock for me, I, I would rather compare myself with that. Um, and I think that's really uh, the secret to handling it. Um, again, for me, experience has shown me that many a times, <laughs> those that you compare yourself with, if you are able to see the reality, you will say, no, I wouldn't want to even be in their shoes. Thank you. Sister Chica. I agree with uh, Brother Philip, because um, you need to know who you are in God. It's not... Um, it's not uh, uh, joining the genesis, uh, doing what the other people do that will make you who you are. You need to know who you are in God, and that will give you the confidence to withstand whatever the pressure is. And like the society, uh, affect what you think or allow the society to determine how you should act in respect of anything. Just know who you are. That's gives you confidence. Consentment. Yes. Consentment. Thank you. 
Now, is entitlement mentality not an extreme case of expectation? Do we think it's an extreme case of expectation? We'll be rounding up in a couple of minutes. Just quickly, an entitlement mentality. Anyone can take it. Because a lot of people feel entitled, you know? Um, and I feel it's happening even in our country today where people get to a certain level of um, governance and they feel it's a family inheritance and you know it's used anyhow just same way when we have people who feel that oh i go to the same church as you or you are my brother you are my sister i expect that at this point you have to buy me this you have to buy me that that mentality is it not an extreme case of expectation what do we think it is and it's very negative so as much as possible if we encounter that try to you know stop it because sometimes when you have that kind of entitlement the person may become desperate and the person may even decide to do some negative things against the person that they expect something from if they don't get the expectations met thank you um let me quickly ask um, the second to the last question Considering the volatile um, economy we are in today, and there's a lot of expectation from parents, you know, paying school fees, taking care of families, and all that, how do, how should we manage all these things that are happening at this time? What should the family units do? <laughs> the family should have a budget. Family should. First, first and foremost, get together and pray so that it moderates whatever else. Make sure that people are, are in, in Christ. When we talked about the entitlement mentality, it's, it's a measure of maturity, of spiritual maturity. So if you're feeling that way, check your, your, your maturity level. So for a, a family, we need to make sure you have a budget of how you spend this is agreed and then you dispose accordingly and if something should pop up as an emergency you also review it as a family and come to an agreement and pray through thank yeah. you um lastly lastly what is god's expectation of us at this point in time and for this season what is god's expectation of us but i feel it absolute trust in him Absolute trust in it. Trust in him. Keep on rejoicing. No matter what we are seeing out there. Because we know that it will be alright at the end. Thank you. Hold, hold family to God. Know who you are in him. And rejoice. Amen. On that note, we want to say a huge thank you to all our on-site viewers and online we say a huge thank you and also for the organizers um the comfort center of the four square gospel church we say thank you for putting this program together and of course for the leadership who approved of the program i sincerely hope that we have communicated one or two things to you but what is chiefly among all we have agreed today is that god is love God is present in all the things that we're going through. Is at the center of our lives. And love conquers all things. It is not unto us, but it is 
unto God, whatever we do. And I want to sincerely say thank you to the panelists who have three things in common. They have passion for Christ, as I do. They are experienced people, and they love to work in the service of God. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We appreciate you. Thank you, everybody.